As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hey y'all, Seven Rounds in Heaven is back. We're brought to you by the Armchair Media Network. Urban Meyer is back in Florida. It is I, Rob Paul. A.K.A. the spokesperson for getting Matt Canada the O.C. job in Pittsburgh. And with me, as always, is A.J. Bye-bye, Brian Marchese. And welcome back, Scott Linehan, potentially. Today, we're going through our 2020 NFL All-Rookie Team. Let's hit it. Seven. 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 Seven rounds in heaven with my baby Driving up to Cleveland maybe Looking for a Lawrence or Sewell Don't draft specialists on the first day Don't draft specialists on the second day Maybe draft a punter in the six We'll see Let's go seven rounds Let's go seven rounds together. Let's go seven rounds forever. And that's a song. The wait is finally over. Football is in full effect and the NBA is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to BetOnline today and use promo code ARMCHAIR to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Just four declarations since our last show, all of which come from the national title-winning Alabama Crimson Tide. Um, quarterback Mac Jones, receiver Jalen Waddell, interior defensive lineman Christian Barmore, and cornerback Patrick Sertain. Feels like three potential walks to be first-round picks, yeah. and then uh, maybe the only quarterback taken on day two of the draft. And potentially will go could go in the first round. Um, I don't know, but we'll see. Yeah, and all four guys like we knew were coming out. No surprises at all. Uh I wonder, like, like Devonta Smith wasn't a part of this, but I don't think that means anything at all. No, AJ, <laughs> no. But that does uh, hint at something we'll talk about in a couple of minutes. Um, I think, obviously, I think, who do you think goes off the board first, Waddle or Sertain? I think Sertain goes first. Certain, honestly, I think he had such like obviously he had such a fantastic year, and it feel, almost feels like he's one of those guys that was so good that like people just didn't talk about him week in week out because like, well, he did win SEC Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah, so how it's not like we were talking about how amazing his performance was every week. Like we us personally, we mentioned him a couple times on the show for best prospect. Even then, it's like yeah, it's just another shutdown day for Patrick Sertan. You know what I mean? Um, I, I wonder if. Uh, if he ends up going, uh, being the first corner off the board, I still lean killed Farley, but obviously we're very far out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, hey, if Jalen Waddle runs a 4 3 1, 
who knows? Maybe he's the first receiver off the board. That's something you hinted at months ago. Yeah, and I mean, Devonta Smith's dominance kind of, and then the injury obviously kind of maybe uh, washed that a little, but there's always still a chance when a guy runs crazy speeds. Uh, don't be surprised if both Smith, Waddle, and Sertain go top 10. Yes. Uh, and then but Barmore, we, we, we waxed poetic about him last week. Um the definite, at this point, definite top interior defensive lineman in the class. Correct. And I, I think he's the only one who I wasn't sure for sure would declare just because he's just a redshirt sophomore. Mm-hmm. But was happy to see him because it's a big boost to this interior D-line class. Definitely. And then Mac Jones is Mac Jones. He's not going to – I don't think he's going to – I did see someone, I think it was Matt Miller, was saying if he can get to the senior bowl, that would be a good place for him to be because it's hard to separate him from the talent around him at Alabama, and it certainly doesn't help that Tua struggled this year. That's a good point, and especially because he seems like a guy that's going to be great in interviews and stuff and just scouts and, and coaching staffs being able to interact with him. Um, I think that would be big for him at, uh, down in Mobile. I just want to see him throw to other receivers who aren't the greatest receivers in the world. <laughs> That's also true. But, but I do think, yeah, if I, I mean, I don't really, I don't, I, I, I've seen people saying first round. I don't, I think by the time the draft comes around, he'll, he's like a 50 to 100 kind of range for him. Yeah, uh, I, I feel the same way as you, but uh, like it, obviously we're going to see the first round projections because he just came off an insane season and just won the fucking national championship game, so. And two senior bowl acceptances, one being Alabama left tackle Alex Leatherwood, the other being Kentucky center Drake Jackson. I'm excited to bet Alex Leatherwood. I, I think that's so big. Um, potential p- potential first-round pick, but I don't think he's really there for most people. No. So getting him there and let's see how he looks. Um, a lot of people are projecting him to guard. Mm-hmm. So this is a great opportunity to show what he's got as a pass protector against some of the best pass rushers in the country. And... I mean, Nagy's put together a really good pass rusher group in Mobile this year, so I'm excited. No, I, I definitely, definitely agree. And Drake Jackson, solid pickup too. And uh, but yeah, all all those key storylines with Alex Leatherwood are gonna be really uh, fun to watch. I'm excited for the trench play. I, yeah. I was diving in a little bit. I've got a draft crush on each side of the ball that's gonna be at the Senior Bowl: Georgia guard Ben Cleveland, um, and this one's a a little bit more of a surprise, maybe. Tulsa defensive lineman Cameron Sample. Tulane. What did I say? Tulsa. <laughs> I do that all the time. Yeah, I know. I swear to God, I do it too. Don't worry. It's the tease. It's the golden hurricane. It's the green wave. It's a color so, and a thing. Yeah. So you're lucky in a natural disaster. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> you're lucky you said Tulsa though, or else I was going to accuse you of uh, your Tulane bias slipping in there. But now I know it's you're, you're trusting the tape, and it's not just scouting the helmet. I really appreciate that. <laughs> okay, I alluded to this when you alluded to it as well. The uh, the NFL, <laughs> doesn't make sense. The NFL informed teams uh, that players who have completed their regular eligibility in the NCAA must notify the league by March 1st if they will be foregoing the 2021 NFL draft to return to college to use that free COVID season, obviously because of the pandemic. Uh, this college football season didn't um, didn't count against anybody's eligibility. So, like AJ said earlier, but Devonta Smith declaring that it is well, we have seen it. Some guys, some seniors are legitimately declaring just so it's clear. Yep. This is weird. Um, 
just because when Tom Pelissero tweeted it, the follow-up tweet mentioning how Michael Turk went undrafted last year and got a waiver to go back to Arizona State, kind of set a precedent. Um, so they also added in with this memo that if a guy gets drafted but goes back to college, that NFL team will retain his rights. It is pretty weird. Um, I have a hard time seeing a guy wanting to go back to college if a team yeah. drafted him already because he can't improve his draft stock and he won't get that his rookie he won't get his, his he's basically delaying his rookie contract for a year yeah so I, the, the nfl just slipped that in to protect uh any teams from possibly getting uh you know losing out on a guy like that um yeah i, I do so so we'll definitely not see any guys who get drafted go back but i do wonder if we see more michael turk situations this year because well, that should be a thing in general and i think we've I both talked about yep. that before yeah no i know if, if a guy declares and goes undrafted there should be a two-week window for him to decide if he wants to sign undrafted or return if he's got existing eligibility he can return to college yeah and i don't want to say this is i totally agree but i don't want to say that these are connected but uh, the the undeclaring deadline or the opting out of the draft deadline it, it being March first pretty late in the process maybe in the future that makes um that, that that makes some more wiggle room that like you just mentioned maybe early May we'll see guys being able to uh, go back to college but that, that's all in the NCAA's ball court it's uh it's weird we should just I don't know why you would rather a guy go undrafted than <laughs> help himself but hey that's the ncaa i do you think we're gonna see a lot of guys pushing that march first deadline and saying they're going back i i think you said to me when we were talking about it earlier in the day that like it's there but i don't think it'll really come back into effect Uh, yeah yeah that's how i feel like unless unless a guy really is hearing the wrong things about his draft stock and then by then mm-hmm. kind of figures it out. But he, or like I, the, the other thing is that that would be a, right around the NFL combine if the NFL combine happens. So if something weird happens there. I don't know. I just, I don't see it really mattering all that much. And if it does, it'll be with guys who are not really on the radar. I wouldn't think. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And then like, I, I, like it, it'd have to be like an extenuating circumstance where, like, knock on wood, God forbid, like some sort of bad injury in training or something like that that would really, yeah. really knock a draft stock down. Like, like you know, it doesn't happen too often, but you, you know what I'm talking about. Or maybe, maybe a medical popping up even at, at the combine. That's maybe those are opportunities. But yeah, I, I don't see it really um, coming into play. But we'll, time will tell. It's uh, it, it's interesting, but yeah, I don't think. Ultimately, I don't think it'll be a big deal. Me neither. Uh, and then, of course, it's the off season for some teams. So we've got GM hirings. We've got our first head coach hiring. Time is happening in the NFL. If it's not anywhere else, it's happening in the NFL. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what that Please. means. But okay. <laughs> Uh, so a couple GM hirings, uh, Houston Texans hired Nick Casario from the Patriots, Denver Broncos hired George Patton from the Vikings, uh, the Lions hired Brad Holmes from the Rams, and the Panthers hired Scott Fitter from the Seattle Seahawks. Which one gets you the most jazzed up? I, like, 
I think Brad Holmes is by far the most interesting. And he, he's the shortest tenured in a senior position of all the hires. It, it's kind of cool that all the guys you can trace back to their organizations for such a long time. Like Fitterer goes back to it, Seattle since 2001. Mm-hmm. Same as Casario. Patton's been in Minnesota for, I don't know, 14 well, years. Pat, yeah, and Patton was with um, Spielman with the Bears, mm-hmm. the Dolphins, and then went to uh, the Vikings with them. And, and uh, with him, it's a little more interesting because they were saying he's had opportunities in the past, obviously having been since, what, like 2006 or whatever, the assistant GM to Spielman mm-hmm. with Minnesota. He's turned down other opportunities. He's been waiting for the perfect one. He goes to Denver where John Elway has said the GM will have last say. So that kind of makes me think that originally when he said that, I didn't (laughs) necessarily believe it, but that kind of makes me believe it a little more that Patton would take that jump or make that jump after all these years of kind of waiting. No, no, that's a really good point. I think like, I don't know, all these hires are solid. The Casario one is, I mean, (laughs) it looks the worst because of the Deshaun Watson situation. Yeah, I don't like that one. I know. I don't like I'm the, the the whole Jack Easter, Easterby yeah. thing, then him getting Casario, them not listening to um, the, firm. the search firms yeah. who suggested Omar Khan, uh, who they were in the process, the the who is in the Steelers front office, who they're in the process of getting a deal done with when Easterby like, took Cal McNair aside and like whispered into you like the evil fuck he is, <laughs> and next thing you know, Nick Casario is the GM. Deshaun Watson's a wall. Deshaun Watson trade rumors are happening, which uh, that's hard to buy into. Actually going down, but I think it uh, just such a gross situation in Houston, and I feel bad for Deshaun Watson. I agree. Like <laughs> on paper, the Casario hire is like okay. I guess like uh, he's. He's just another Patriot guy. But they've been trying to get him for so long, too, right? I so. know. But, no, uh, because of the Watson situation. But, like, as long as he's involved in the hiring of the head coach, I think all this will go away, to be honest. I I, I think, um, like, I, th- I, I think the Patton one's really solid. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Holmes one's the one that, again, interests me the most because I think it's the biggest swing. Yeah, no, with definitely. by far the most upside. And all the things, like, even outside of scouting, that he was huge for their, um, kind of the building, the, the uh, Analytics. their culture. And, it's, yeah. No, 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 like, outside of football. Okay, yeah. The, um, kind of dealing with social uh, justice, mm-hmm. all that stuff. He was really, and that's something I think Detroit, Detroit Lions need, like, a real leader in the front office. So, I, that's why I'm pretty jazzed up about the Brad Holmes hire. It's, it's an interesting um, point. Like, the, 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 the Lions never felt that connected to Detroit, like as connected as they should be. You know what I mean? They, yeah. Like they kind of feel like they're um, just there. Like, yes. Even though, yes, even I though, you know, Detroit... the, the Ford family owns the, like it, it's already, yes. but it just never felt like a real connect between the city and the front. And I might be wrong, but we're, we're, I don't know, 250 no, kilometers away. I think but... you're right. And I, I think Detroit's actually a very, very cool city. And if the, like just having the right people in that front office and, Hopefully, Brad Holmes hires the right guy as head coach. I think this is a really nice move. But I also do think it signals the full rebuild. And that starts with mm-hmm. maybe moving Stafford. I saw an interesting anecdote about Brad Holmes. And, yeah, like like I kind of tried to jump the gun on. He, he's apparently a big analytics guy there in L.A. And uh, it was, I don't know if this is a big deal. But apparently, when um, he, he went off the senior bowls, um, like next-gen stats, like individual guys' speed. 
like you know running speed as opposed mm-hmm. to the 40 and that's kind of what like i don't know i don't even know if this is true but they landed on they weren't worried about the cooper cup four six flat or whatever it was that i mean you shouldn't have been anyways because his senior bowl speed was a little was a uh, way more impressive which uh, like you could probably do with the eye test, but still, that's a hopeful thing to hear. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, he he's like again. I I said, I I just find his heart by far the most interesting. He he's only he's also quite young. He's only forty one. Mm-hmm. He's been the director of college scouting for a handful of years now. They've obvi- obviously he's been a big piece to remember when Les Snead, like before Sean McVay was there, Les Snead was so felt close. like he was gonna get fired yeah. all the time. Yeah. And, like, I think um, they've done a really good job, or Lesney has done a really good job of getting the right people around him and fully turning around the Rams thing. No one's That's saved his just... own ass more than Les Snead has, and it's not talked about too often. I guess it was no. years ago, but now it's kind of like, yeah, he's a good GM. Um, go ahead. Uh, and, then, and then, obviously, Fitter is your guy from Seattle, and his name comes up, I feel like, every year. Yeah, it's like three, uh, three years now. Yeah, and finally goes – and I – I'm sure you know more about him than I do. I'm. I just kind of trust what the Panthers have started to build uh, since Tepper became mm-hmm. owner and Matt Rule took over as head coach. So this feels like a, a good move. Uh, I don't think it would happen unless Tepper uh, and Rule were on the same page with it. So I think, and obviously coming from one of the most successful franchises yeah. of the last decade. So it, I, I think it's a cool one. Yeah, like and he, he was with the Seahawks well before Pete. He's been there since 2001. Um, oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, long time there, and uh, yeah, I mean, every, everything says he's good. It's kind of funny you don't you don't see him too much. Like it's mainly when you, it's it's so much you know Pete Carroll and, and John Schneider just kind of dominate the front, like the scene there. Um, yeah, no, I mean he's been up for so many of these gigs. Um, the interesting thing was though that he kind of it seemed like he came out of nowhere in this search because they, they hired a bunch of can um, they interviewed a bunch of candidates. I think like yeah. fifteen, and he I didn't yeah go ahead. I didn't think he was like I. I honestly didn't think he would leave Seattle, and I didn't realize he was the leader in the in the office. I thought Adam Peters from San Francisco was going to yeah, get the job. Yeah, I came out of nowhere. And, like, technically hasn't been hired yet. They just announced that they offered <laughs> yeah. him the job. But, but if you do that, it means he's hired. Uh, you want a fun fact about Scott Fitterer? Yes. Uh, he was a minor league pitcher for the Toronto Blue Jays. And quick trivia, Rob, who else played for the Jays then became a GM in another sport? In another sport, yes, not a, like not football either. Uh, yes, also not football. But I meant not baseball. What's his name? Um, Danny Ainge. Celtics. You know yeah, it. You know nice. it. Yeah, I couldn't think of his name. I know. Trader Danny. <laughs> there you go. Hey, Danny Ainge has been good. So maybe th- maybe that's a good sign for old Scott in Carolina. We'll we'll come back. We'll do a show probably where we go through all the head co- or all, yeah all the head coaching staff hirings and GMs and we'll grade them then. Um, but I'm just going to tell you who the biggest winner is. Okay. Okay. From from this batch, the Pittsburgh Steelers because they didn't lose Omar Khan and he's the future GM. There you go, big winner. And um, who who's left? I mean, the Falcons apparently have zeroed in on Terry Fontenot, but it's not official. Which, yeah, I think he's the best hire. If 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 that was official, and we were talking about it right now, I would mm-hmm. say he's the best hire. No, I'm very excited. Another guy for him just, to go to Atlanta. Yeah, another guy just long long time to his fran- long long time yeah. uh, to his franchise. And who is it? Yes. It's Washington and Jacksonville, and then obviously Urban Meyer's got all. 16 years under the Loomis in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And six years as uh, director of pro scouting there. Speaking of Jacksonville. Um, yeah. 
Urban Meyer, officially the Jacksonville Jaguars head coach, just two-ish years after saying <laughs> he probably will never coach again. Um, well, let's, I feel like we've heard that before from Urban Meyer. Yeah. Obviously, the biggest, it, no matter what happens in the rest of the head coaching searches, this is the biggest, the, the biggest, splashiest one. Uh, three national championships um, at Ohio State in Florida. 187 to 32 in his college coaching career between Ohio State, Florida, Utah, and Bowling Green. Put numerous guys into the NFL. Transformed Ohio State from being a top 10 team into a top 3 team. Um, I mean, ridiculous coaching tree. One of the uh, one of the 10 best college coaches in college football history, I would say. Yeah. Um, zero experience in the NFL. Has never coached any capacity in the NFL. Uh, lots of whispers of who he's going to bring with him to fill out his staff. It's the most interesting Whis- part, yeah. Yes, by far. Because, I mean, as a, like, Urban Meyer is, again, one of the greatest college coaches of all time. But with the zero NFL experience, and to me the best thing he did as a coach was combo of recruiting and building the culture which is in player development, which is less important at the NFL level. Yeah, and, and to his credit, he always had a really strong staff around him, though. Yes, which is to me that's one of the most underrated things about being a head coach in the NFL is surrounding yourself with the right people. I mean, you you look at what Andy Reid look Andy Reid's coaching tree. That's he just keeps hiring yeah. the right people and developing the right coaches. So, I, like you said. It's going to be super interesting to see who fills out his staff. Rumors of um, Charlie Strong as a defensive coordinator. Rumors of uh, Chris Ash as DB coach. Just like right now, sounding like it's going to happen. Scott Linehan as his offensive coordinator, which I think is kind of boring. It's boring, but at least it's a guy that's had NFL experience and NFL head coach experience. A ton of NFL experience. And I think that's kind of. So I I don't. It's boring, but I don't hate it. And, um, yeah, so uh, filling out the staffs can be really interesting. Seeing who they hire as GM, because yeah. to me, when you're hiring a head coach and a GM, whoever you hire first is the real in charge person. Um, Pretty much, yeah. And Shad Khan said at the end of the day, he's still going to have final say on personnel decisions, which is. <laughs> I will never understand why, why owners, some owners do that, because they have zero experience as. <laughs> In, in football, they, they built a business that has nothing to do with football, made billions, bought a team, and now they want to have the final say over someone who grinded in the league for decades to become a GM. But whatever. So I'm excited to see who they hire as GM to pair with Urban Meyer and who he, he fills out the staff with. We'll, we'll grade it when it's all said and done because it's too hard to say. I At the end of the day, though, it's very exciting that he's making that leap. I, I mean, it's cooler than hiring Doug Murrow. <laughs> yeah, definitely, hundred percent agree. Doug Marone went twenty-five and twenty-five at Syracuse. So that was such a that was such a weird one. Like that, I don't know. That was uh, his. Remember, remember. Then he took the Bills' job. Then he yeah. like was like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> Became the Jaguars' O line coach, and then set himself up to become a head coach. Yeah, well, so weird. He's. I mean, we got to give it to him. He, he's he's a genius that he, <laughs> he turned that record into two head coaching jobs. Um, the only cool thing about the Bills gig was that he was geographically close. Like I'm like, this is a weird. Yeah, hire. no, that was cool. That was. But cool. I'm like coming across uh, upstate, <laughs> that's cool. But anyways, yeah. 
Well, so okay, before we move on to our all rookie team, final final thing. Where do you want Doug Marone to go next? <laughs> uh, uh, ooh. I don't know. Keep in mind, from the born and raised in the Bronx, played at Syracuse, then became head coach at Syracuse, um, and then whatever happened since. What say you? I, uh, I, I want him to go back to Syracuse and end up as the head coach again in the future, like he pulled off in Jacksonville. I would not be surprised if like Dino Babers is like, yeah, I should I should bring this guy in. like he is because he is a good offensive line coach. Yeah, I should bring him in as my offensive line coach plus tons of experience, and then he tricks him, and then he's the head coach a year later. King, King, King Doug. That's what we're gonna call him from now on. Uh, I want. Uh, I think he'd just be perfect for the Mac. Uh, he would be a great Mac coach. Yeah, I. I totally agree. Oh, maybe he takes the 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 analyst job from Urban Meyer on Fox. Yeah, that's what the people want. <laughs> they gotta find someone. Okay. <laughs> Urban Meyer carried that show. I don't know what's gonna happen now. I I, I don't know. I saw I saw Mark Halfrick's name floated, which is a good one, but the name's not buzzy enough. I, I don't think he's like I like Mark Halfrick in the booth because he's very X's and O's. But I don't think he's like personality enough. Like he's yeah, very dry, dry and even keel. I don't like. I don't even think he'd be like a great like top commentator guy. I just like him. Fair enough. Yeah, like, I, I, okay, so I enjoyed yeah. him. Yeah. Fox, give Doug a call. <laughs> okay, let's do our all rookie team. <sighs> okay. Sigh. Offense. I don't. I hate the NFL. Okay, so I just want to talk about Doug Marone to the Mac. <laughs> it should happen. You're right. You're right. Anyways, okay. Quarterback. Come on, this is easy. Quarterback. Justin Herbert threw for over four thousand yards, set the NFL rookie touchdown record with thirty-one, completed sixty-six point six, ran for five touchdowns. He. I mean, the the Chargers head coaching jobs like the diamond job because of him. Uh, and apparently, it's it. They're circling in on Brian Dable, which is exciting for which us. Which is, that's yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. our number one. Oh yeah, um, yeah. This is, I mean, a slam dunk first team quarterback. Uh, yes, I, 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 we might as well talk about it now. Offensive rookie of the year. I'm like, I'm, st- I'm a coin toss right now between between him and Justin Jefferson. Well, which again is fair because Justin, like, although Herbert broke like all the rookie passing records. Jefferson broke the the yard record. I I would not care who wins it. Like I'm happy either way. Yeah, my, my, I think Justin Jefferson ultimately was the more dominant player. Yep. But there the difference just being quarterback is the more important position. Like if their positions were weighed equally, I think it would be Justin Jefferson. I agree, and and still closely though. But definitely he was like yeah, so many hundred yard games that I was just like all right another one from Justin Jefferson. Like it was it was ridiculous. Yes. I uh, but again we like uh, Justin Herbert was such a fun part of this bizarre season. Yep. To, the way he came in, took over, and just instantly became one of the most aggressive passers in the league, um, despite horrible offensive line play. And uh, he he quickly became became one of my favorite quarterbacks to watch. Hundred percent, yeah. Uh, bad offensive line play, uh, not much of a running game. Uh, no nope. bad co- coaching decisions around him. 
and he did all of this. So I mean, the 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 future is insanely bright for Justin Herbert. And all I want is Brian Dable. Me too. Um, I also think people forget Brian Dable was the OC when Alabama beat Georgia in the Natty. You, you know, what? I, I saw some headlines about like how Brian Dable's kind of out of nowhere, and I'm like, I don't think that's fair. Like, when 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 Buffalo hired Brian Dable, we were both super optimistic about that hire. And I mean, it's not just because yeah. he was born in Welland, Ontario, but <laughs> geographical well, that was, connection. That was again. it for me. <laughs> but no, he he had a good resume going in, and uh, he's also, he's also yeah, like he he's a he was a lifetime Belichick guy, yep. and then worked for Nick Saban. Yeah, th- that's that's usually a good recipe. And apparently, he's just like the, the like the best, like most energizy, kind of one of, one of those flamboyantly energized coaches. Moving to running back. Okay, first of all, are, are we doing one running back like we usually do because we hate running backs, or, or is this the year that we give two running backs a spot? No, it's I. Well, I the way I did it was how I would generally what I would call starting offense, which is one quarterback, one running back, three receivers, five linemen. I also did the same thing, but I was just wondering because there's another, there's two running backs. You can like. You can run the wishbone. I don't care how you run your offense. <laughs> no, <laughs> no I, I built it with. I built it the same as you. Same as we did last year, if anyone remembers. Uh, because of the way he finished the season, I had to go with Jonathan Taylor. I also did it narrowly over my favorite player in the world, James Robinson, who had a spectacular year. But yeah, no, undrafted rookie. Of the year. Yeah, hundred percent. But exactly on a playoff team, being a dominant monster down the stretch. Um, leading rookies in rushing, what, th- third amongst all players in rushing yards, um, 11 touchdowns. It, it had to be Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, he was a different – like, I, I was very hard on him early in the season. I mean, like two episodes ago, I wouldn't stop talking about him. <laughs> um, but the way he finished the season, he was just – he was a different running back. His, his lateral agility, his burst, his vision was so much better. He was consistently breaking that. He just looked comfortable, and you were no longer worried about his – his kind of fumbly mm-hmm. problems. Remember earlier in the year when like it'd be third and one, and it's like okay, you know the ball's going to Jonathan Taylor because that's what you drafted him for. But he had zero confidence that he was going to pick it up, and then suddenly yeah. that turned into him breaking those runs. And yeah. what an amazing halfway through the rookie season transformation uh, that I don't I don't know if I remember for an offensive skill position guy just breaking through the wall like that. Yeah, no, like he turned into one of the best backs in the league, like. I don't think there's very many young or very many backs who would take over him in general going forward. Definitely. And like all the preseason talk was like, okay, this is a perfect fit. You know, he's going to rush for 1,200 yards. And then week six, you're like, okay, we fucked up. And then, hey, he came around and he was only, he was only 31 yards short. So, bam. And, and obviously, like you said, James Robinson. I, I thought um, two other backs to mention. If Antonio Gibson didn't get banged up, yep. like at one point, he had what, like eleven touchdowns in like nine games mm-hmm. or something, uh, and then if J.K. Dobbins was just given the yeah. load, I think it, it would have been a big, big difference for him. Like he, I think he averaged the most per carry among these guys at least at six, and I feel like he's going to be everyone's pick to be the breakout Pro Bowl <laughs> running back next year. Yeah, that's an easy one. I, if we were doing um, like many people do, do it's the flex position. I, I would have given given that to Antonio Gibson. Yeah, that's fair. Um, it's it's funny because early on it looked like Clyde Edwards Hilaire would have yeah, run away with this spot, eh? Yeah, I know. And and we talked about it last week. It just the, it turned into a really really good rookie year for running backs. Yep, like yeah, we mentioned DeAndre Swift, like very strong group. 
Um, stronger group though. Yeah. The wide receivers were obviously Justin Jefferson's going to be our number one. Correct. Uh, eighty-eight grabs, fourteen hundred yards, seven touchdowns. Maybe the offensive rookie of the year. Only one of two rookies to make the Pro Bowl. Uh, the rare trade that worked out for both sides with him and Stephon Diggs. He 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 looks like he's already one of the most complete receivers in the league. He's not just that big, um, kind of larger slot with the route running. He can line up in anywhere and he can beat you any way. Yeah. Uh, he, he, I mean, he was so fun to watch. He's he's already like I think he's gonna be one of the just for the next ten years one of the ten best receivers. I know, right? It's just it, his game is just so complete already, which is uh, remarkable and. I don't know. Like, there, there's nothing really to nitpick him his rookie year on. It was just, just a, a dominant performance week in, no. week out. Yeah, it's not even interesting. The more interesting spot is the wide <laughs> receiver two and three. I know. I, I here. I'm going to let you take the reins here because I, I wonder where you went. So I think for me, without question, my number two receiver, C. Lamb, mm-hmm. um, still managed 74 grabs, 935 yards, despite Dak going yeah. down. Yep. Uh, also had that onside kick return. Yeah, I was about to say that, yeah. (laughs) Uh, We saw flashes of what he he can do, um, especially when Dak was there. Uh, He kind of had a lull mid-season, and then as the offense kind of came back together, he started making plays again. Remember that one incredible touchdown grab he had? Um, One of my favorites of the year. Who was it against? I can't remember, but just the nastiest one-handed touchdown. Um he looks like he he's gets to be one of the best number two receivers in the league next year. <laughs> Even number three receivers because they got Gallup and Amari. Cooper. Yeah, and, and speaking of, he he lined up in the slot a lot this year. Which yeah, no. If if you were gonna go on like and actually be like X, like you have to pick it. If if you're gonna Peter King this up and be like <laughs> this slot has to actually be a true slot, like he fits that because that's basically yeah. where he just played. We did that last year, by the way. So I I, I slotted him in at slot. So. <laughs> oh, okay, respect. You, you, me, and Peter King, eh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you voted Cole Beasley to all. Uh, yeah, he, my first first team all pro because that's how I'd build my team. Uh, no, the, <laughs> Jefferson and Lamb were the easy guys, and I, for me, I, I I put him at slot. So um, I don't know. Like like he had such a great rookie year, and it feels like it's just gonna get overlooked a bit, and rightfully because Justin Jefferson was so insane and the team sucked. But um, no, but yeah, it's still like it's crazy. He nine hundred and thirty five yards as a rookie with your backup quarterback for half the year. <laughs> like it, that's a ridiculous with, season with all those mouths to feed on the team too. Yeah, it's insane. Yes. So here, uh, Lang was the easy one. The, the third receiver, if you will, I thought was the difficult one. I I gave it to your guy J- Chase Claypool, I, and I didn't. Okay, who'd you go with? I went with T Higgins. He was my runner up. Okay, I think you, you can basically flip a coin there. I. I ended up going yeah. with Claypool because, uh, one, I guess you can give him the playoff team bump, and two, just the stretch of dominance. I, I mean, yeah, the, the Steelers' offense sputtered many times, and so did he. But just, you know, what, what do you have? 62 catches, 873 yards, nine touchdowns, plus two rushing touchdowns. Uh, his, his receiving stats were slightly below um, Higgins, not the touchdowns. I, I gave so, it to him just because of the stretch of kind of dominance that he had. It, yeah, I was going to say, the, basically to me, the argument was bit, like bigger games versus more consistency. Yeah. I went with consistency, um, picking T. Higgins. I thought Claypool had games, where he, especially early where, he, like you said, the dominance. And then as the Steelers' offense struggled, he just completely disappeared for stretches. 
uh, versus T. Higgins just consistently mm-hmm. was the kind of the go-to guy, even once Joe Burrow went down, who we didn't even mention is obviously, I think, the honorable mention all Easily. rookie yeah, yeah. quarterback. Um, he Higgins was still the go-to guy. He was much better than A.J. Green every time he threw on a Bengals game. Yeah. It's like he he looks like the the future number one outside guy um to Tyler Boyd on the inside and him and him and Burrow had good chemistry but the fact that he was still able to put up numbers with Ryan Finley and with Brandon Allen that's kind of why I I ended up going with Higgins I think that's fair it's really just a flip of the coin and I I gave it to the touchdowns and the, the dominant stretches over the consistency fair I my I put two honorable mentions. I put Jerry Judy and Brandon Ayuk. I I think if I had a fifth guy, I would have went with Ayuk, and yeah, maybe Judy a, a bit of a step below the rest of the group. But again, if, uh, if if you like, I think Jerry Judy had a really good year aside from the drops. Yeah, he did, and and which is what pulls him down. Yeah, no, for sure, and I mean, obviously the team stunk too, and. No, I but totally agree. I think you'd you'd mentioned I don't know how how long ago, but Brandon you just quietly had a really mm-hmm. nice season, especially again, another guy who's playing with back quarterback. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, I think people would be surprised to look back on his stats. I, I don't have them in front of me, but they were I do. Go ahead. He had uh, um eight hundred twenty five yards from scrimmage and seven total uh touchdowns. It's good. Six sixty catches. Yeah, that's impressive. Good great year. 12 games only, too. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And like you said, with uh, Nick Mullins and C.J. Beathard throwing the ball most of the time. Uh, okay, offensive line, I might have cheated slightly. Okay, I, I want to hear how because I, I cheated slightly as well. I didn't want to put a center. Oh, okay. I I respect that decision totally. Um, I, end, I, I end up throwing a center, but I don't care. Cause the, centers, the centers that played were really bad. Yeah. I was like... My my logic was, rather than reward a guy like Lloyd Cushenberry, who I think had a really poor season, yeah, that's, by, <laughs> but played center all year, yeah. I, I would rather spotlight another interior lineman who happened to play guard, who was actually good. See, and um, and to be fair, so I if I had to choose a center, it would be Lloyd Cushenberry because he played every snap this year. But also, to be fair, the, the interior offensive line was meh overall anyways, but just really bad at center. I cheated again. Okay. Technically, Michael Mwenyu spent more time at tackle. This is my cheat. This is my cheat. Okay, but did yeah. you put him at you put him at guard? I put him at guard. Yeah, I mean, look, because I wasn't gonna not <laughs> have him like, on the team. He, he had exactly. He had one of the most surprisingly great seasons. Yeah. And was forced to play all over the offensive line. Yeah. He was by far at his best as a guard, but had to finish the season as a right tackle. Um, which he wasn't as good, but he was still so much better than most guys. <laughs> I know. And and like his position going forward is he's going to be starting guard. Exactly. And um, honestly, like I know the tackle class was really good. If someone had him as a starting tackle on your all rookie team, I wouldn't even give you too much shit for it. Cause I, uh, he was that good. And yeah, I just didn't want to leave him off the team. And uh, when exactly. he was at guard, he was the best rookie guard. So I put him at guard. Yes, ex- exactly. Exactly. Like, that's why it felt silly to be like, well, he's an honorable mention because no. he wasn't one of the two best tackles. But when he was guard, he was the best guard. Um, who, who, who else did you put on the interior? No, I, I totally agree. He just deserved to be on it. I don't care. I'd fudge it a bit. So I I put three guards for my interior spots because, yeah, not going to put Lloyd Cushenberry. So I put on one you. 
Uh, I put Jonah Jackson with the Lions, and I put Damian Lewis with the Seahawks. But those are my three offensive guys. So I think it's the right three, and the only honorable mention I put was Solomon Kinley with the Dolphins. Yeah, so so for me, I put Owenu and Damian Lewis, and then very tight, I put uh, Jonah Jackson after him. But I put so Jonah Jackson it, over Cushion Berry, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's our three interior line. Um, Damian Lewis looks like the perfect fit for Seattle, especially because mm-hmm. they're going to run the ball more when they hire a new OC. <laughs> hey, hey, and uh, Russell can see over him. He's only 6'2", so there you go. Exactly. He, he is one hell of a mauler. If you want to see someone pancake block people, yeah. that's the guy to watch. He also got better... In pass protection, the the, the penalty uh, stopped too. Like, and when he wasn't playing center, <laughs> that helped. Yeah, I think he only gave up like three sacks, which isn't like it's not bad at all. And one of them was at center. I know that for sure. So, um, um just so, yeah, run Mauler. Yeah, and I, I, everyone's getting excited because of how big Deontay Brown looked uh, in the Natty, and, and like that the guy that everyone's like, if you want your Damian Lewis, you go get Deontay Brown. So he's already getting comps. Um, and then with Jonah Jackson, he just, I think, quietly was just consistently yeah. solid. Like, he just played like a starting guard. Yep. You didn't really – he didn't really stand out necessarily because he wasn't making mistakes. You saw him all a couple people. Mm-hmm. Um, also, like, we got a Michigan lineman on here, so we got to get an Ohio State <laughs> lineman. Yeah. Who's a technically a Rutgers lineman. That's, that's the best part of it. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, I think clearly those are the three best guys. Solomon Kinley, I thought – um, probably halfway through the year, I would have had him. Yes, yeah. uh, but he struggled down the stretch uh, as the whole offensive line did. And yeah. He struggled more in pass protection, but he he too looks like a tone setter and starting long term guard. No, no, I I think we we mentioned it throughout the season that there there's so many of those just big mauling guards this class, and and none of them went super high. And I, I mean, hey, even I tackle too, but none of them went like super high in, on the interior, and they all kind of just shone this year. Don't draft guards in the first round. Is that what you're saying? No, I want to. I draft more guards in the first round, baby. Those guys should have been first round picks. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> if you played in the Big Ten or at LSU, <laughs> but the, I guess just the Big Ten and SEC. Yeah, it's fine. Big Ten and SEC. Just that's that's where you're finding your. You're probably going to be sick. Exactly. Hey, hey, and my my tackles are Big Ten and SEC too. So. Oh, okay. Mine aren't. Okay, well, one of them. <laughs> Tristan Werfs, I think, is the the, the no doubt Tr- slam dunk. Like, if you were to ignore the fact that he plays line and doesn't have stats, Justin Herbert, Justin Jefferson, and Tristan Wirfs were, to me, not even close, the three best rookies. Runaway, uh, yeah. Like, I, I'm here for arguing Tristan Wirfs doing rookie of the year. I like... Like, that's how good he was. He should have made the Pro Bowl. He should have been a first-team All-Pro. Mm-hmm. Like, he was that good. He's already one of... I think he was one of the five best offensive tackles in the NFL this season. He was transformative in, in helping that offense. Like, obviously, their interior is very experienced. In it. Like, Ali Marpet's a pro bowler. Ryan Jensen's a, a, a pro bowler as well. And, I mean, Alex Kappa. Come on. We love Alex Kappa. Imagine how angry – this is just off topic a little bit, but I lo- we do love Alex Kappa. Imagine how angry we'd be sitting here right now if, if Justin Jefferson and Justin Herbert didn't have the seasons they had. And, like, I don't know, Jonathan Taylor won Offensive Rookie of the Year over Tristan Wirfs. You know what I mean? Yeah, that, yeah, that would that would make which, me so. Which would have probably happened. So thank you, oh, Herbert 100%. and Jefferson. Like he allowed like one sack. He was barely penalized. He was dominant. And he was the like like again. The, I think I said it a couple weeks ago. The most important draft pick uh, on the offense for sure this year. Yeah, he. I mean, he he's ridiculously talented. We knew he's a freak athlete, and he's such a physical run blocker, and. His 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 
I don't know, the ace up his sleeve in pass protection is his balance through contact. It's ridiculous mm-hmm. for a big boy. Definitely. And so, like, that was a lock. OT, yes. OT2 was really interesting to me. I, I put it a toss-up, but who would you give it to? I, I give it to Makai Becton. I give it to Jedrick Wills, and I'm I know. fine going either direction. So, for me, like, obviously, the, it, it's a close battle. But I went with Becton um, just because despite all the shit around mm-hmm. him, he was the best player in the Jets' offense. He was the most dominant player in the Jets' offense. He was, like, if you're going to watch a Jets' offensive game, he's the guy you watch. Yeah. Just because of the way he bullied people. And just when he was healthy, he was just such a physically dominant player. And it was from, it was from like, week one and on. Um, yep. Jedrick Wills, I think, was... It struggled in pass protection down the stretch. They both have their struggles in pass protection. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I think Beckton was the more dominant run blocker, and and Will's also had a lot more positives going on around him. So that that's kind of how I broke that tie. No, that that's fair. And yeah, both glass eaters and haulers in the run. Uh, and I think I broke the tie where, and you can make it both ways this argument, but where Beckton was on the one of the worst teams in the NFL, obviously uh, with shit around him. Will's had the things around him, but he was also an integral part on a playoff team with one of the best rushing attacks, and I think was the best offensive line in the league this year. So I, I I flipped it around and went that way, and I would I don't care who actually would be our offensive tackle because they're both so deserving of it. Yeah, and Wyatt, Wyatt Teller was a hit for us as well <laughs> That's three years later. Most importantly, correct. It's like the best guard in the NFL now. I don't even think he made the Pro Bowl. Nothing makes sense. Who's voting? I don't know. Strangers and fans. Um, but you know what, AJ? I don't know what. Enlighten me. James Harden joined the Brooklyn Nets. What? Last night, Mac McClung hit a buzzer beater against Texas. His foot was on the line. Basketball is back. And with basketball comes gambling. Because that makes it more fun to watch. It does. And with, with gambling comes needing a sports book. And with COVID comes needing an online sports book. And with all of that comes bet online. Where you can go and you can gamble. Plus uh, NFL playoffs. Plus when the Super Bowl comes around, all the prop bets. Bet online's got everything you need to make money in Bet Online. Uh, and if you use promo code Armchair, you can take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. And why wouldn't you want to do that? No reason. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.com dot edu slash podcast so let's get to our 
NFL all-rookie defense now. Um, I mentioned Jefferson was one of two pro bowlers in the rookie class. The other is Chase Young, who is, I'm assuming, both of our number one <laughs> edges here. Of course, yeah. Uh, 10 TFL, 7.5 sacks, scored touchdown, was a dominant force who outplayed his box score all season long. Yep. Looks like one of the best pass rushers in the league. Um, and yeah, just one of the most well-rounded players in the league already on the uh, defensive line. Definitely. And and I, I've mentioned this a couple times, but he felt like he was coming up big in big spots. Like lots of big goal line TFLs, lots of big like fourth and third and short TFLs and just crashing down the line and eating guys. And I mean, the stats speak for themselves. And even outside of that, um, like you said, dominant outside of the, the, the stat blocks as well. I love Chase Young. Uh, he's everything that he was advertised as. Um, and, and, and a cornerstone for helping transform Washington into a playoff team and getting Ron Rivera's team trending in the right direction. That defense is so fun, the defensive line specifically. You've got four monsters between Young, Sweat, uh, Allen, and Payne. Yeah. And, uh, they're all from the SEC or Ohio State. I'm proud of you as an, as you're an SEC and Ohio State fan. Thank you. Now the the question is Edge two. I I struggled. I don't know who 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 do you end up landing on? I I think it was undoubtedly Alex Smith. Okay, okay, undoubtedly, and that that was all down the stretch. You know, yes. I I gave it to DJ Wanham with zero conviction. <laughs> um. Well, Alex Highsmith eat your first team all rookie tackle alive. Um, I think he had to, uh, outside of Chase, like excluding Chase Young games, Alex Highsmith had the two best or most dominant fair. Uh, games from an edge rusher, rookie edge rusher. Um, the, the numbers aren't like, like just two sacks, pick <laughs> five TFLs, but he did like, the, he basically, he replaced a pro bowl level player in Bud Dupree. Mm-hmm. Who's going to get paid millions and millions. And, like, Pittsburgh's just going to let him walk now because that's how good Alex Highsmith looked. Hey, he wasn't without his uh, bumps games like we talked about. That, that just the Bengals game. Yeah. Just the Bengals game, but yeah. No, I think just the fact that, um, I don't know, I have zero conviction of who the second guy should be is an indictment of how poor this group was. I mean, I don't, I, you're sleeping on Alex Highsmith. He was not poor. Yeah, but, like, well, he wasn't poor, but the, the group was overall. That's what I'm saying. Uh, but yeah, go ahead. Dalton Robinson. Dalton Robinson, runner-up for me as well. Uh, Highsmith, Robinson, Wanham, and Young are the only four I'd even really consider. Another thing uh, to mention: Alton Robinson, Syracuse, Doug Marone, Syracuse. <laughs> let me let me go, DJ DJ Wanham a little bit. It felt like all of it. He only had three sacks too. Like there there was not much produ- production here. Um, but all of them felt like in big spots. He had that that big strip sack. I, I think it was Aaron Rodgers, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like I think like, and he missed a couple. He missed some time as well. Uh, but when he was on the field, uh, I thought like they got a good edge too there with DJ Wanham, and I, I like the the potential there. Highsmith, I, I yeah, the highs were definitely the highest um, amongst these this trio of uh, whatevers. <laughs> I also I, I I also think coming out of this rookie class, the only clear starters on the edge entering year two are Young and Highsmith. That's fair. I like. 
Yeah, that's fair. I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll get the gig. Alton Robinson's going to always be in the rotation there in Seattle. I mean, e- even if they somehow get worse. Darrell Taylor's coming for his job. Exactly. That's what I mean. Like, he, he wasn't even getting starter minutes. He just came up big, like, when he got the chance. I, I think Wano uh, will, will be starting, though. I See, I don't, because I think they're going to draft a pass rusher, and they've got Daniel Hunter coming back. True. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. I think he was good enough. But, yeah, good in the rotation regardless. Interior defensive line. Also not super exciting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think default you have to put Derek Brown. I did. Um, yeah. He was he. W- I mean, he was the splashiest player in the interior, and I don't think that like I don't think he had a great year. I don't think he had a bad year. It took a long time to come on though. He he had his best games against some of the poorer offensive <laughs> lines the Panthers played, but True. I guess all, all, like he he ended up being a pretty impactful run defender. I, I just think the issue is more um, you can't take a guy that early who's not going to be a premier pass rusher on the defensive line. But yeah. uh, he he at least is going to be, I think, a very solid starter going forward. Um, eight TFLs, two sacks. Like a, a, just a solid season. Yeah, finishing with eight t- TFLs is good. And, yeah, it, it took a bit to come on, and then down the stretch he was, he was really solid. Um, so he he felt like the easy one. Uh, yeah. IDL two was the big toss up for me. I, you know, like I, I'm sure most people have Javon Kinlaw here. Who I like I, I don't. I don't either. Who I but I wouldn't give you any guff over. I I went with Raekwon Davis. Okay, I did too, and I I think I I agree with you where I think you can argue either. I went with Raekwon Davis, although he like has a very minimal impact <laughs> yeah. on passing downs. Yeah. He looks like a long-term starting nose tackle who's going to be a really great run defender. Exactly. It's for what he did as a run defender. Um, 40 tackles on the year. That, that's that's a good number. And um, also just like outside of the box score. If you watch some of those games with the, for the Dolphins. Just it, clogs it. Yeah, he's just do- controlling the middle of the field. And that's what you want out of so a... So big. Yeah, with a, <laughs> with a big, long run defender and just uh, eating the middle there. And... Uh, it- and then obviously the I, I, the argument for Kinlaw is there's more splashy plays. There's touchdown. There's yeah. more, yeah. There's more pass rush for sure. Like he had, he had a really great game against I think the Saints, um, and there was a couple plays where like he shoot a gap and almost make a yeah. play and the, more flashy for sure. And I think he's gonna be like, I think Raekwon Davis is gonna be a very solid starter. Uh, but Kinlaw looked like he's got way more upside. Definitely, but. Raekwon Davis, ultimately, I thought was the more impactful player. Yeah, I, I agree. Flashier from Kinlaw, but uh, more impactful from Davis. And a fourth spot would have been our, our guy, Devon Hamilton. Yeah, I think if Devon Hamilton didn't miss time, I, I probably would have ended up giving this spot to him. Oh, over yeah, I think that's fair, over over Raekwon Davis. But, yeah, or at least would have been really, really tight between the three. Agreed. Yeah. Okay, moving on off-ball linebacker. I have just two because I play nickel like a man. <laughs> I put I put two as well. Okay. Uh, again, without question, uh, to me, without question, the two kind of like, I think you, like Jeremy Chin should be listed as a linebacker. So I listed him as a linebacker. So I think without question, my two linebackers are Patrick Queen and Jeremy Chin. Okay. So Patrick Queen, clearly, I, what I ended up doing was I, I didn't go with a nickel. I went with two linebackers, and even though LB2 doesn't really deserve it, and I, I put Jeremy Chin as my flex. Instead of a nickel, is that what you mean? Yeah, instead of a nickel. Okay, okay, that's got you. So you have him. Of course, he is on your team. Hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, okay, starting with Queen, he he had his ups and downs, especially in coverage. But 
was not even close. If if you don't call Jeremy Chin a linebacker, it's not even close. Patrick Queen was the most impactful <laughs> linebacker. Yeah. In in a class where a lot of guys let people down, I think obviously, um, you have to call Queen's rookie season a success. There was again some struggles. I remember the Chiefs game was a tough one for him against Clyde Edwards mm-hmm. Hilaire in coverage, but he was also such a, a sideline to sideline player. Had some really big games where he was just eating people alive in yeah. the backfield because he's such a freaky athlete, and he just uh, he looks like he's just gonna start for them. And the like, he looked like he had Pro Bowl upside, like. A Devin Whitey-ish in yeah. terms of just how freaky he, he can be with his athleticism as a explosive downhill player. Yeah, and that's not like a simple defense there in Baltimore. It's, it's going to take him some time. And uh, we saw that, like, you know, a bit, bit hesitant at times, but the, the athleticism made up for that often. Uh, it got a little bit lost in coverage at times. But, um, again, athleticism. But, yeah, on top of it, the, the, the monster flash plays, taking, taking over games in, in small birds, spurts, um, and then the, the numbers also, like 106 tackles, 9 TFLs, 3 sacks, a pick. Was a really nice blitzer when they brought yep, it. he was, he was. So easily, if you don't consider Chin a linebacker, he is by far uh, LB1 on this on this team. And then with Chin, I mean... Led all rookies rookie, in tackles. Yes, if you're ranked defensive rookie of the years, I think he would be second for me after Chase Young. Yeah. Um, he was literally everywhere for that defense. He looked like their first round pick. He when they blitzed him, he was so impactful. Um, and, and again, he was he he played linebacker some games. He played safety other games. He had that game where he had two touchdowns. Yep. <laughs> like he just he six three two twenty five and flying around like that. It was insane how how um, dominant he, he ended up looking. Yeah, definitely. And it was it was from the get go like. Remember week one, he didn't have, like, the greatest game, but it, it's like he just kept flashing because he was flying all around the field. He was cleaning up everything. Yeah. Like, he was in everywhere. Yeah, and he had 117 tackles. Um, definitely. Like, if you're just going to go linebackers like that, it's it's those two guys, clearly. I ended up flexing them, and even though an LB2 didn't really deserve it, I uh, – so, so okay, Kenneth Murray, what, had 106 tackles in a sack. But I, I bad. Yeah, I went with the eye test. He wasn't great. I, so I, I gave LB2 to Jordan Brooks because I don't think... That would have... I, I My honorable mentions are Jordan, Bo- just sorry, Jordan Brooks and Chris Barnes with the Packers. <laughs> that's that's fair. Uh, my, my honorable mentions are, are Murray and uh, Barnes. Um, and yeah, I, I went with the eye test. And even though you know he was just a situational guy for the Seahawks, um, still have... Fi- he was, Go ahead, yeah. like he, he showed more yeah. to me... Like he has a brighter future to me from what I saw from him than what I saw from Kenneth Murray. Absolutely, hundred um, percent. Fifty-seven tackles and and really came on down the stretch too. So I, I yeah exactly that's why I give him the nod. Um no I think that's totally fair. Moving to uh, defensive back, let's start with. Uh, well, I did two corners and a nickel, and I guess technically your nickel's chin. So I'll just go ahead and say mine is Antoine Winfield Jr. Oh, okay, so I, I got Winfield Jr. at safety. Kept it traditional. Um, I thought the rookie safety class ended up being pretty, pretty strong. Yeah. And I thought the best way to cheat and make sure I get more of them in is put Winfield Jr. at nickel. <laughs> That's fair. I felt justified in putting him there, probably similarly to why you felt justified putting Chin as the flexes, because they do multiple things. Like Winfield Jr., here comes the Winfield Jr. train. Um, like Todd Bowles early in the season was blitzing him a lot, and he was so impactful that way. Three sacks. He was solid in coverage. He wasn't terrific in coverage, but solid in coverage. Yep. Um, 
and just an animal uh, as a run defender like his dad. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think without question, he is on the all rookie defense wherever you want to put him. One hundred percent. And like, if you're just gonna do traditional safety, he, he's safety one for me. Um, easily. Yes. Cool. Yes. 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 So I, I I like that cheat because you know the one reason I'm like you know I'm gonna go flex just take a linebacker was because. Uh, none of the corners, like none of the, the the guys who played nickel too much, weren't too great. Like as as corners, you know. Um, so I like I that. No, Troy Pride fell down and crawled on the ground and made our our fucking year. <laughs> that's, that's good. Honestly, he should be on our team just to, just out of fucking respect. Um, so corner corner ended up being a bit of a hotly contested, maybe not hotly, but a, a well contested. Uh, team for me i I, i'll I'll get it started my my first corner is legeria sneed who obviously missed six games uh in the middle of the year and then week 17 on top of it but when he was on the field i don't think there was a better rookie corner because he was he was impactful as fuck for those kansas city chiefs i think to me the two corners were obvious um okay i see corner two was a toss-up for me one being sneed because i thought he was the most impactful player Mm -hmm. but i don't think any corner partially because Sneed missed so much time. Any corner was more consistently looked like he should be starting in the NFL than Jalen Johnson. Jalen Johnson was my second choice. but uh, Sorry, he was my other corner. The, 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 so yes. Sneed and Johnson were my so guys. Which are mine as well. Terrell was close for me, though, with Johnson. Terrell was my honorable mention. Yeah, and I think but those I are the three any, clear guys. No one else is in the conversation. No, not really at all. And quickly going back to Sneedy, he started off hot with the picks, then missed the time, and then down the stretch they started blitzing him more. And he, he played yes. he played a lot both at nickel and corner too. So you, yes. you could have even fudged it that way. But uh, no, definitely an amazing year. And uh, you felt his absence on the Kansas City Chiefs defense too. Oh yeah, yes. Um, so he, he, he was a ball magnet. Yeah, no, for real. And and making the transition from safety to corner and coming out of Louisiana Tech and being a day three guy. Uh, he deserves all the credit in the world for the season he had, even even with the missed games. And then Jalen Johnson obviously had a really strong start to the season. Mm-hmm. Um, had some tougher games, kind of hit a rookie wall for a bit. And then I thought he he was solid down the stretch. And then missed uh, the last what two two three games for them too. So that, three games, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, and, and broke up a ton. He broke up fifteen passes, that, best amongst all rookies. Yeah. Yeah, and he just like. He he was a day one starter and just like kind of seamlessly fit in. And, yep. Um, on a playoff defense too, give him credit for that. Yes, yeah, one of the best defenses in the league. The AJ Terrell I thought was more inconsistent, and that's why I give it Jalen Johnson. Yeah, that that's fair, and and you know it, it's kind of opposite where uh, Johnson started really hot and then fizzled a little bit, uh, where where Terrell started cold and then missed time with COVID and then came back and it was pretty pretty awesome since then. Um, definitely those three guys, though. If, if, like Sneed is the clear guy, and if you gave it to Johnson or Terrell, I wouldn't care. But the past, uh, the, the past breakups being the best amongst rookies, I had to give the nod to Johnson. And plus, like you said, it, it, also for content, we talked about Jalen Johnson so much. So I kind of yeah. sometimes when there was a toss up, I went that way. Like with Raycon Davis, we talked about him. We, he had the monster games. He was defensive rookie of the week for us a couple times. That that's how we kind of broke some of these ties. Um, safety, really, like. Really good group, mm-hmm. especially if you count Chin and Antoine Field Jr. towards it. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up putting uh, it, to me it came down to three guys for two spots. I ended up putting Cameron Curl and Julian Blackman with Jordan Fuller as my honorable mention. Okay, so I I agree that those are the top two, and then Fuller. 
Um, so I went with Winfield uh, as my number one safety. Right, right, right. Tough, tough call between Blackman and Curl for me. I, I, I gave the nod to Blackman. So I, I'm curious, if you had to pick one of the two in my... I would take Cameron Curl. Okay. Close or, or easily? Um, close. No, no, definitely close. Stat, the stats go Cameron Curl. So he, he had more tackles. He had more picks. Uh, he, he had two sacks as well and a defensive as, touchdown. I, I, as, as you know, my two favorite non-Sealers teams are the Colts and the Washington football team. True, yeah. So I watched a lot of them both this year. Uh, I think Cameron Curl is, like like Julian Blackman was such a terrific single high type yeah. safety. Um, he had some tougher games down the stretch where he, he, he got beat late a couple times, could be a step slow. Uh, whereas Cam- Cameron Crow, which playing single high is so hard. Yeah. So, so quickly, just to jump in, that's the reason with with my two safeties, I, I gave Blackman and Winfield the gigs because they complement each other a little bit better. Um, well, it, just Blackman was playing single high for a, a lot of the season on a defense that was one of the best in the mm-hmm. league, and that's a really hard thing to do. Um, Cameron Crow, I thought, was the more total package of a safety. Um, yeah. He was really disruptive coming downfield. He'd take anybody's head off. Uh, the pick six were uh, off. Uh, who was it? Nick Mullins um, when he threw the late ball to Juice Tech in the in the flats. Like that was an incredible play. He was also a seventh round pick, and I think yeah. just one of the the kind of the hidden gems of the the season. Um, but, but, Jordan Fuller really really good season too, though. Definitely also and, played a lot of single high. Yeah, that's a good point. And and one one more thing to credit Julian Blackman with. Uh, coming so soon off the ATL and then playing like he did is is really int- uh, impressive. Yeah, definitely. Safety group really fun. Yeah, it turned into a really good group. Uh, okay, finally our specialists. AJ's favorite time of the day. Uh, th- actually, a good conversation. Yeah, with kicker. I, I, I honestly I think it was a good conversation with, for punter too. I. Uh, oh, okay. okay. Maybe I forgot about somebody. I, I, <laughs> But no, no, kicker, kicker, a little more interesting. Uh, so you got Rodrigo Blankenship, you got Tyler Bass. I, I gave it to Tyler Bass because you know, you know, <gasps> you know how it works. Well, first of all, I love, I love Tyler Bass. Um, <laughs> but he was better from long range. He was eight and nine from forty. Yeah, that, well, that that that's really the what the conversation. Blankenship hit more field goals, was a little more accurate. Bass, Not much. Yep. Was like one of the best deep kickers in the in the uh, league, and I, that's always the more impressive. I think I think Blankenship was only both? one of three from fifty plus, something like that. Yeah, he was. He was. And, and Bass was four for four for six, so that's a way more impressive number. They both incredible rookie years for kickers. Definitely, though. yeah. And you know, one other thing, I gave Bass the Buffalo bump, having to kick in out, out, plus, outdoors in the weather at times. Plus, you know, it's weird. One's from Georgia, the other's from Georgia Southern. It's true. True, and both both headed Georgia, north. Kicker state. <laughs> so wait, who'd you pick? Did you pick Bass or, or Plankenship? I picked Plankenship, but uh, you're the kicker expert. Give it to Bass <laughs> for, for the overall team. Okay, so for punter, did you give it to Braden Man? No, I gave it to Joseph Charlton. Okay, awesome. I gave it to Joseph Charlton too, and for the same similar reasons, he had a better average, forty six point three. Well, I do you want to know why I gave it to him? <laughs> I would love to. Well, remember that time we saw the punt that like, was yeah. horrible from him? And everyone's like, can this guy even punt? <laughs> yeah. Guess what he can. Yeah, baby. And, and you know, <laughs> that scared me for a bit because I remember when we did our rookie show, I, I liked Joseph Charles. I thought he had a boomer. Yeah, he did. And, uh, yeah, he didn't, you know, he only punted 45 times, but I'm pretty sure he led all punters, uh, rookie punters, for inside 20 on 21. 
Um, that's that's an impressive number for only 45 attempts plus the average. I thought it was, I thought it was pretty clear. Um, but Brandon Mann punted a shit ton for the Jets, so and he was consistently solid, just not not big time numbers. So I, I think that that deserves. But you know, like I saw Tommy Townsend on some people's list for the for the Chiefs, so a, a quietly good punter crop this year. Yeah, hell yeah, congrats. Uh, okay, my my return specialist. I don't know if there was any, anybody else even in the conversation. I thought definitely Isaiah Rogers. Yeah, e- easily. I mean, he was one of one of seven guys with a kick return touchdown this year. Period. Average twenty eight point eight a kick return. I mean, uh, definitely. I mean, C. Lamb had one, like you said, one return for a touchdown. Uh, Jen Rager had, I think, only a couple returns. Got up, had a punt return touchdown. They got to use him more there. But yeah, I think it definitely was Isaiah Rogers easily. Uh, okay, finally, AJ. Like the special, like the kicking and the punting, that's your business. My business is the tackling on special teams. Uh, and this is also part of the reason I picked Rodrigo Blankenship as the kicker because I was trying to get as many Colts on my special teams as possible. Uh, without question to me, the all rookie special teamer is Jordan Glasgow. Right. Okay. If I, I, I didn't put one down, but I thought he was the guy that I, uh, the only name I really Le- saw. Led all. Uh, rookies and special teams tackles with nine blocked a punt against the Bears right um, I forgot about that literally was drafted just to do this he was <laughs> um, so I thought without question that's got to be your guy so I, on my list I had three of the four spots going to Colts because uh, Chris Ballard no special teams um, but my honorable mention someone tied him for special teams tackles for among rookies with nine who was it I'll give you a I'll give you one guess. This is like impossible. <laughs> um, uh, okay, give me the conference at least. The conference? Yeah. That, see, that's what I mean. Like, I'm, I'm not making this easy for myself. Just give me the conference. Like AFC, NFC? Yes, that's it. NFC. Okay, that, so that narrowed it down big time. I have no fucking clue. <laughs> um. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you want um, one more hint? Okay. How about how about the conference he played college football? Okay, okay, that that helps more. The Big Ten, obviously, special teams. You is the whole conference. Look, I know this isn't the correct answer, but it should be Josh Metellus. That's the correct answer. Yes, go blue, baby. I knew you'd get there eventually. I just didn't want to be like make it obvious it was someone from I, Michigan because I knew you would then know it's Josh Metellus. <laughs> I know he popped a couple times, so I didn't. I didn't know you ended up having that good of a year. Yeah, they both. They both uh, they tied for two Michigan guys tied okay. for the most special teams tackles and among rookies. And you know what's awesome too is that coming out when we talked about those guys, we both said they'd be really good special teamers. Yeah, Michigan produces special teamers. Ohio State produces first round picks. Stupid. Who would who would want that garbage? <laughs>